dead. So, I want to thank you for the opportunity to uh, to be here um, and Kent with uh, Kendis and, and Aliyah and Nadia. I had a chance to uh, to preach. Uh, here at Connections um, in the fall, and uh, it's just a blessing to be with you all. Um, and as we heard uh, Chad, you know, say and and Heather, um, yeah, we're we're doing our service in a in a different sort of setting, but we just are trusting the Lord has. I believe, I'm hoping, something sweet for us. Um, if you notice the title, Savor the Sweetness. And our, our text is uh, from uh, Proverbs 24, just two verses. And it goes like this. Eat honey, my son, for it is good. Honey from the comb is sweet to your taste. Know also that wisdom is like honey for you. If you find it, there is a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. So um, in my very first year of ministry, I was an associate pastor in Grand Haven, Michigan, and I participated in this evangelism ministry called Last Call, um, where we provided a designated driving service uh, for a free designated driving service for bar patrons um, on the weekend there in Grand Haven. And uh, in that context, I remember getting in a conversation with a guy who said basically this. He said, I prayed to accept Jesus' forgiveness for my sins um, so I could escape the flames of hell, but that's all I'm really interested in. The, the, the church stuff, the prayer stuff, the denying yourself, the knowing Jesus stuff, that's not for me. I want a happy life. As though knowing Jesus leads to gloom. And when he said that, I was just like, oh, what an unfortunate misconception. I wish he knew the Jesus that says in, in, in the Gospel of John, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. And because the Jesus that, that I know gives us a life that is so rich, a joy that is so full, that, that there are people who would say, um, yeah, Christians talk about heaven and that's great, but it seems like Christianity would be appealing just even for the sweet blessings you can experience right now. And Solomon says in this passage, he says, that's right, because all Christians can savor wisdom right now and enjoy its sweet blessings right now. And that's really actually, you might say, oh, that's just a New Testament lesson. That's also an Old Testament lesson uh, we see in our verse. In fact, I learned back on a, a, study, a summer um, study trip with Ray Vanderlaan. Maybe some of you have heard of Ray Vanderlaan, who... Uh, did these uh, on-location, on-site uh, Bible teaching videos. Um, well, he also did uh, trips. Uh, and on, on one of his trips, he shared that um, this was a passage that Hebrew children learned on their very first day of, of, of Bible school. And he's, he's, he said, here's what would happen. The teacher would pass out to each child a slate. And, and, and on the slate, 
the letters of the Hebrew alphabet were written, the words of Leviticus 1 verse 1, the words of Deuteronomy 33 verse 4, and also the words, the law will be my calling. And then the teacher read the slate and said, children, I want you to repeat the words back to me. And so he'd read them and then he'd repeat them. And then after this, he coated each slate with honey and gave the instruction, lick your slates clean, children. And they really got into that. You know, lots of, and then he, they would pass out to each child a, a, a sweet cake with a Bible verse on it. And finally, to close the session, the rabbi read this verse. Eat honey, my son, for it is good. Honey from the comb is sweet to your taste. Know also that wisdom is sweet to your soul. So this morning, let's look at three ways Wisdom is sweet to the soul. Uh, blessing one. Wisdom brings the sweet blessing of productivity to those who apply its lessons. Uh, Reformed theologian Neil Planinga, he defines wisdom this way. I really like it. He says, wisdom is a knowledge of God's world and a knack for fitting yourself into it. He says this, the wise person knows creation. She knows its boundaries and limits, understands its laws and rhythms, discerns its times and seasons, and always respects its great dynamics. The wise know how to harness creation rhythms so that they can profit from those rhythms. They don't just work hard, they work smart. And they follow the right order of steps which will yield productivity and fruitfulness. For example, Proverbs 24, verse 27. We read this, these words. Put your outdoor work in order. Get your fields ready. After that, build your house. And Bible teachers will tell you that many cultures around the world have that type of saying. Because it's a universal best practice to establish your source of income first... And then build your house. That makes sense. It's also common wisdom to uh, develop what you have, the stuff you actually have, rather than just obsess and think all kinds, you know, take all kinds of time thinking about get rich quick schemes that may or may not work. And so Proverbs talks a lot about that as well. Proverbs 28, verse 19. Those who work, their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies will have their fill of poverty. Proverbs 17, verse 23. A discerning person keeps wisdom in view, but the fool's eyes wander to the ends of the earth. And, and so wisdom also makes us alert to enemies. It's not just the good creation rhythms that we you know, pay attention to. We also need to be paying attention to enemies that are there to bring us down. And so Proverbs 24, the very end of this chapter, 30, 30 through 34, there's this wise man. He's walking past the, 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 the field of a vineyard, uh, uh, the, or he was walking past a vineyard of a foolish sluggard. And he says, wow. Thorns came up, were coming up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds. The stone wall was in ruins. And then he says this, I applied my heart to what I observed. And I learned a lesson from what I saw. 
a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. So he says, the slugger doesn't see those advancing thorns, those advancing weeds, that ruined wall which makes his vineyard vulnerable. He sees something else. Maybe he sees his PlayStation. Maybe he sees his Netflix specials. Maybe his internet offers from Nigerian princes that, you know, say this is the way, just click this button and you're going to get rich quick. Maybe he just sees the back of his eyelids because he loves sleep. The point is, he's looking at everything but the thing he needs to be looking at, the advancing thorns that are ruining his property. Ralph Waldo Emerson, he once said that every type of property is preyed on by its own special enemy. Iron is preyed on by rust, timber by rot, clothing by moths, provisions by mold and vermin. So if you become the steward of some possession, then you also receive the charge or the responsibility of defending that possession from a troop of enemies that are attracted <laughs> to bringing that possession down. Proverbs teaches us that. And those who apply that lesson and say, I'm going to defend my stuff against enemies. I'm going to learn to develop my possessions. I'm going to do things in the right order. They begin to experience productivity. And that not only benefits them, but it feels good. It feels good. It satisfies the soul when that productivity happens and you see the harvest come into the barn. Blessing two. Wisdom brings the sweet blessing of what you might call righteous reaping. Wise people also know how God's moral universe works. They know that certain deeds lead to certain destinies. That, that, that you reap what you sow. And that can be really good news. Uh, Proverbs 11, verse 25 says, A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed themselves. It's going to come back on them, those good things. That's because that's how God's world runs. Now, that's not as immediately evident as what I was talking about, you know, putting your fields in order and that sort of thing, uh, that's kind of common sense across cultures. This is not immediately evident. Some people would say, oh, no, it's the stingy person who holds on to all their stuff and doesn't share. That's the person who's going to be prosperous. But po Proverbs says, no, no, an open hand is actually better than a tight fist. Proverbs 11, verse 24 says, one person gives freely yet gains even more, while another withholds and comes to poverty. I remember the testimony of Sadie's sake. Sadie was a dorm parent for a, a mission school in the Philippines, and she loved books, and she often loaned them to friends. But like me, uh, there's certain books you're like, oh, I, I really love those books. And she had some of those. Okay, and so those were so precious, she was like, I'm just going to keep these to myself. And so she uh, put those treasured copies into a footlocker under her bed. 
just for herself. Guess what? One night, she hears a gnawing sound coming from the footlocker. She opens it up and finds an enormous pile of dust. Termites had munched away her treasured books. And so Sadie laughs and she cries and she cries and she laughs and she says, Oh Lord, I see that what I am ready to share, I can still keep. But what I withhold selfishly, that's what disappears. I don't get a hold of that at all. Bible teacher Bruce Waltke says it's really important for us to understand that whenever you see the word righteous in the book of Proverbs, that is referring to a person who is also generous, habitually generous. He says this, the Bible defines the righteous as those who routinely disadvantage themselves in order to build up or bless their community, while the wicked will disadvantage the community in order to build up themselves. Now, Again, you might say, well, it sounds like the wicked have the smarter strategy. But Proverbs 21, 21 promises something that's, I think, remarkable. It says, whoever pursues, chases at with full, you know, determination and focus, whoever pursues righteousness and love finds life, prosperity, and honor. Now, they may find that it takes a roundabout way that as they're pursuing righteousness, that the life, prosperity, and honor part, that might come, you know, years later. But that's a biblical promise. And, and I think we see this promise fulfilled more often than we might realize. In fact, it's fulfilled in one of the most beloved Christmas movies. Maybe some of you saw it in recent weeks. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life. Anybody see that movie, It's a Wonderful Life, with George Bailey, The Building and Loan? Um, and so George Bailey, um, he exemplifies that picture of the biblically righteous person. Because throughout the movie, you see that he routinely disadvantages himself in order to help his community. Remember, he gives up his honeymoon money because there's a, a run on the bank. And he knows that if, if people uh, start selling now, uh, then that's going to actually be worse for them later on. And so he uses his own honeymoon money. He also works like a dog at the building in Rome, marshalling all his smarts, all his strengths, so that the immigrants in the community, uh, the Italian immigrants like the, that, that uh, man Giuseppe Martini, can own their own home in Bailey Park. And so he's doing all sorts of things to build up his community. Then, you remember the tragedy, Uncle Billy loses some of the money that's, that's needed to pay the bills, and it appears like George is going to be, because he's the ultimate boss, he's going to be sent to jail in disgrace, and George cannot bear this, and he actually goes to the bridge and he contemplates suicide. But then an angel shows him what life in Bedford Falls would be like without George Bailey. And George finds hope and peace. And he's like, I might be going to jail, but I've had a wonderful life. I've made a difference. And then, of course, we know that just throughout that whole process, his, his wife, Mary, sends word into the community that George is in trouble, that he needs money. And the community, remember what they do? They give and they give 
and they give and they give and, and, and more than enough to pay off the debt. So much money, in fact, comes in that his, his brother Harry, when brother Harry comes to the party, uh, brother Harry's the war hero, he, he, he comes and he ends the movie with a toast. And, and I just think it's amazing what he says. He says, to my big brother George, the richest man in town, those who pursue righteousness and love will find prosperity, life, and honor. Surely in heaven they will. But also, Proverbs says that it happens on earth sometimes. Now, again, in a roundabout way, eventually, and, and sometimes we have to little squint a little bit, but it happens. Blessing three, the sweet joy of knowing Jesus. See, wisdom isn't just a knowledge of God's world and a knack of fitting yourself into it. Wisdom is also a knowledge of God's holy heart and a knack of relating to him, knowing him. Proverbs 9 verse 10 says it this way. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So I want to think again about that bar patron from Grand Haven, Michigan that I talked about earlier. He wanted Jesus for the forgiveness, for the fire insurance, but didn't care about knowing Jesus at all after that. Now, I think there are a number of problems with that kind of approach, but I'd say the biggest problem is that this guy misses out on the blessing of knowing Jesus. He misses out on the best love, the greatest purpose, the most satisfying wisdom. Isaiah says in Isaiah 33, the Lord will be a sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. Now, how do you get that treasure? Isaiah goes on, the fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. The fear of the Lord means we treat our Lord Jesus as uniquely special. And that's how we access his wisdom. Because some of the things he says may not appear immediately like they're common sense. They're not common sense. They're Christ's sense. And we need to humble ourselves and acknowledge that he is the Holy One. That means he's in a class by himself. Colossians 2 says that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in him. No other religious founder makes that kind of claim. So yeah, sometimes someone, people will say, Jesus says confusing things. And I want something simpler. Or they say, Jesus says demanding things, and I want something easier. Or another person says, Jesus says offensive things, and I want something more popular. But if Jesus is the Holy One, then he's offering something eternal and mysterious and marvelous with the majesty of heaven. He's not offering something earthly and manageable that we've seen before. Jesus claims, in fact, to be from heaven. He's not just sharing rumors and guesses and spiritual hunches about what heaven might be like, uh, like the other leaders of other religions. No, he is saying, I was there. I'm sharing with you my face-to-face -face knowledge of God the Father that I gained as the eternal Son from all eternity past. And that's what I'm sharing with you. And he says, that is like bread for you. In fact, in John 6, he says, I'm the true bread of heaven. He says, the words I speak to you are full of spirit 
and life. If you find them strange, maybe it's because they are heaven words and not earth ones. In John 6, lots of disciples hear Jesus teach and they, they find his words offensive and they just bail out. They just leave. And there's just 12 followers that remain. And Jesus asks them, what about you? Are you going to leave too? And Simon Peter answers them, answers Jesus. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. See, that's the fear of the Lord. Peter's treating Jesus as uniquely special. And he's not saying, I understand everything you say. He's just saying, I don't have other options. I, I've tasted, I've seen that your words carry eternity with them. Your words, I want your words like bears want honey. They're sweet to my soul. And this, let's think about some of the sweet words of Jesus. Words like, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Words like, I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. Whoever feeds on me will live because of me. Words like, son, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace, your sins are forgiven. And when we have those words and we truly hear them, and we truly begin to savor them. They give the listener hope and joy and a hunger for more relationship with this beautiful Savior. The bar patron who wanted Jesus to forgive and then to leave, to depart from his life, not everybody has that experience. I'd say it's much, much more common and much more true that people will say, I have your forgiveness, now please stay near. I remember reading the testimony of a prisoner named Howard Payne who had that kind of reaction. Payne testifies, I was dumbfounded that Jesus would wipe my slate of sin clean. I couldn't believe Jesus would suffer so horribly for me on the cross and show patience towards me during all those years, I was stubborn and hard-hearted. All I can say is he is a God so beautiful to me that I can never praise him enough. I can never know Jesus enough. I want to know him more. I want to be as close to him as possible, savoring his words as though, because they're like the sweetest honey to my soul. And so we, may we, Savor the sweetness too and enjoy the abundant life Jesus offers us right now. Amen.